I invite you to turn in your uh, worship folder, your, your bulletin here. We have kind of a lengthy scripture, a number of uh, verses uh, pulled together. It's kind of what uh, the rabbis call pearl stringing, where you take a number of scriptures and you put them together to, to make a, a pearl necklace, so to speak. So we're going to do a little pearl stringing here. We are uh, focusing our attention on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and uh, today we're, we're looking specifically at what does Jesus say a genuine community looks like, a community of His Spirit, a community of believers. Let's read God's Word together out loud. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. As we've been looking at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, we it's very clear that if you follow Jesus' teaching, if you begin to put your trust in the gospel, the good news that he brings, you will have a radically transformed relationship with God. As a matter of fact, it is the only way to have a right standing with God is through faith in Jesus alone. But that transformation, Jesus teaches throughout this sermon, that transformation has to begin to apply to the way we treat one another. And what Jesus is saying throughout this, both sort of directly and indirectly, is he's saying there should be something radically different about a Christian community. That there, there's something that is so genuine and real about the way Jesus is teaching us to relate to one another, care for one another, love one another, that if we have been radically transformed by the gospel, then the way we treat each other would be radically transformed as well. Jesus describes throughout this sermon a community that would be worth having, a community that's worth being a part of. And here, here are some of the things in this 
this text that I put together for you. Here's some of the things that he says that are necessary or are the, the fundamentals of his spiritual community. The first is this. Jesus teaches that it is absolutely necessary that you be a part of a spiritual community. It is not optional. Those who say to us all the time, I, I don't trust, I don't like organized religion, or I don't need church, or I don't need these things, are basically saying they have not been transformed by the gospel. They're still in it just for their own selfish motives. They have not been transformed because to be transformed by the gospel is to recognize that you have been placed in a family. Now, of all the relationships that you have in your life, most of them are chosen. You choose your friends. You choose your lovers. You choose uh, the people you'll associate with. But your family is chosen for you. Not always the way you'd like it to be. The one group of people in your life that you don't get to choose is your family. Now, why is that important? Because if you notice in the text that we just read, every believer, Jesus describes with family terms, brothers, sisters. Guess what? Whether you like it or not, if you are in Christ, you are brother and sister to all the knuckleheads in this room next to you. You didn't choose them. He chose them for you. <laughs> Some of you are looking for the exit. <laughs> let, me, let me illustrate this with uh, two very, very good teachings. From, one from C.S. Lewis and one from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. C.S. Lewis, I love C.S. Lewis, and I love the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've ever gotten to either watch the movie or read the books, it's just amazing. It's worth having grandchildren just to read them again, you know, or whatever it might be. They're, they're incredible books, but in the book, there are these four children. And uh, the youngest one is a, a girl by the name of Lucy. And of all these four children that Lewis writes about, Lucy is the most spiritually sensitive she is the one full of faith. She is the one full of hope. And in the story, when they go to the, the land of Narnia, there's a Christ figure there. And he's portrayed as this big, beautiful lion by the name of Aslan. And from the beginning, Lucy, this little girl, she sees him. She knows he's real. She believes in him. She loves Aslan. Her sister, Susan, is a teenager. She knows everything. <laughs> and she knows that her little sister is wrong. And her little sister is too sentimental. And her little sister can't possibly rewrite. And Susan is a skeptic and a cynic. But there comes a moment that Susan and Lucy share together. A moment when Aslan, the Christ figure, dies for the sins of their brother. And he's killed on this table. But then, because, Lewis calls it, because of a deeper magic, Aslan is brought back to life. And the ones who are there when he's alive, just sort of like Mary Magdalene and, and the ladies at the tomb, are Susan and Lucy. 
And Aslan invites them now to fly with him, to get on his back, and to travel with him. And Lewis shows something so powerful in this imagery. Because Susan, the older, the skeptic, she takes hold of the mane. And Lucy takes hold of Susan. See, it doesn't make sense to us. Why should Susan get to ride? She was the cynic. She was the skeptic. She was the one who ridiculed her little sister. Here's Lucy. She was beautiful in her innocence, in her faith. She was godly in the way she pursued Aslan and never gave up, even in the face of ridicule. But she only gets to ride as she holds on to Susan. Lewis is painting a picture of the church. We only get to ride if we hold on to each other. It doesn't matter if you were the skeptic or you were the, you were the one who knew from the beginning. It doesn't matter if you were the one with all hope or no hope. We can't ride if we don't ride together, Lewis says. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture. Well, Bonhoeffer takes a, a look at this in a, in a completely different way, but yet helps us to understand the necessity of community with one another. Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor, and during the uh, Nazi takeover, he and others began a confessing church, and they, they knew they had to have a seminary to train pastors for this church, but the seminary had to go underground. And so they, they built this community, and the expectation is this was going to be sort of a utopia. It would be a little bit of heaven on earth because you've got all these godly men, and they're all together, and they all have the same uh, passion, and they have the same you know, drive and desire. And instead, it was a complete disaster in many ways. It was difficult. It was hard. There was selfishness and complaining and all kinds of things. So Bonhoeffer wrote a book based on the experiences called Life Together. And one of the things that, there's many things in there that are excellent about relationships, but one of the things that he said is that until you begin to value arriving at your disillusionment, you can never have true community. Here, let me read to you. He says, just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others with Christians in general, and if we are unfortunate, we will become disillusioned with ourselves. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. Here's what he's saying. The spirit who makes us community is the spirit of truth. He will not for a minute tolerate your fantasies. Especially the fantasy of you presenting yourself as being something you're not. And even if you think about the psychology of this for a minute, if you are always presenting yourself to be something you're not and people love your presentation, you will know that they do not love you. And you open the door for one of the most powerful accusations of the enemy of your soul when you are not living authentically. He will say to you, if people really knew you, you know they would not love you. 
See, what Bonhoeffer is saying is in true Christian community, as a matter of fact, the more we know you, even the ugliness, even the things we thought weren't there, even the things where you disappoint us and yourself, by knowing those things, we really, truly, genuinely love each other. It is so important, friends, that you not just suppress your anger, but that you get it up. It's so important that you not just act like you're not anxious and worried when you really are anxious and worried. It's so important that when you feel hopeless, that you are honest about your hopelessness. In some ways, all we're saying is in Christian community, it's okay that you're not okay. We just don't want you to stay there. But if you hide, you will not be healed. And if you take that a step further, shame always has to do with fear. And fear always has to do with hiding. So if you're hiding who you are, you're hiding your past, you're hiding what you've done or whatever it is, and you're, 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 you're making relationships on the basis of lies, you'll never have genuine, genuine fellowship, genuine community. And so... It needs to be messy, church. It needs to be messy, church. The two illustrations that I like is, is you can either have the funeral home or you can have the maternity ward. In the funeral home, most of the times, everything goes according to plan. Very few times does the body sit up and say, I'm not dead yet, you know. But it's all orderly. And it all goes according to plan, but there's no life. In the, in the birthing center, nothing goes according to plan. There's a good deal of pain. There's some screaming. There's some messiness, but there's life. There's life. And it's a choice that we make. And the problem is in America that often we have chosen the funeral home instead of the birthing center. Well... The second thing that Jesus talks about in terms of community is he says, if there's going to be real community, it's going to be intense. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Jesus said this way. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What in the world is Jesus asking of, of us there? Haven't you always been taught that you only have to forgive if they ask for forgiveness? Haven't you always been taught that it's up to them to come and be reconciled with you? Here is Jesus screwing up your whole DNA of relationships. Because he's saying it's your responsibility. He's put it on you when somebody's mad at you to go to them and make it right. That's intense. No other leader asks this of you. No one else. And I, I think you can boil it down to two types, of two, two aspects. One is personal accountability, and then the other is he's trying to establish a corporate spirituality that's unlike any other. Now, in terms of personal accountability, this is what he's saying. You go even though another has something against you. Jesus holds you accountable to the person for their spiritual growth. Now, you're not accountable for their growth. They have to choose into it. But you're accountable to the person for their spiritual growth. Your concern for their spiritual growth should be as intense as your concern for your own spiritual growth. 
Now, let me tell you a, a very personal reason why this will help you. In life, you cannot go through life without being disappointed with people. You cannot, you, if you're honest, you have a million expectations of what people should say, do, act, look like. I remember one time a guy calling me up after service and said, I saw that look on your face when we were singing that hymn, and I knew it was about me. <laughs> I still, I mean, that's 30 years ago, I still remember that phone call. We have expectations. We get angry because people don't do what we see in our heads them doing. We get disappointed. We get disillusioned. We put people on pedestals just to knock them off. Here's what Jesus says. If you're not careful, you will harden your heart. You will become callous. You will become cold. And Jesus doesn't want a bunch of tough-skinned followers. He doesn't want a thicker skin. He wants a softer heart. Let me give you an illustration of this. I was talking to a person in, in Jordan. You know, when you go to another country, they will unload everything that's wrong in their lives because they know they won't see you tomorrow. So I got a full dose of just how bad this particular church was and how the life of this, this person had been affected. Gossip, slander, judgment, always telling this person what to do, how everything they did was wrong. This is what this particular individual had grown up with in the church. And at the end of explaining all of the things that this person had gone through, looked at me and said, but I don't care. You know, that's the most dangerous statement you can make. Because you really do care. Now you're lying. And now you're defending yourself with a lie. Yes, you care. It hurts so much. Do you know how the brain functions with pain? It accumulates. Your brain is so complex, it keeps every memory. And every memory that is not processed retains the pain of the memory. So that the pain is there even if you don't remember. And it accumulates, and you're dealing with it. And so a hardness comes in, a hardening of heart. And so Jesus says, even if this other brother or sister has something against you for your own sake, go, grieve the loss, face the pain, make it right, even if it's not your fault. That's intense. Second thing that he's talking about, though, it's something we begin to understand that, that we don't exist. You're not you yourself. You are not the temple of God. We are only the temple of God together. We are all stones, living stones that Jesus is, is <laughs> he's cutting off the rough edges. And he's, he's making us smooth so that we can fit together. But in order for that to happen, it's sometimes painful. You rub against my weaknesses, and I, I, I irritate your places of pain. Your pride shows my pride. Your stubbornness, my stubbornness. But listen to me. There's this 
there's this reality that together, as we learn to become one, as we focus on what unifies us instead of what divides us, as we focus together that you are in Christ and I am in Christ, and we begin to be free with one another and comfortable with one another and comfortable in our own skin, something takes place that can't take place otherwise. Again, C.S. Lewis talks about his relationship that he had with two other authors. One was Tolkien and another was Williams. And these three had this amazing relationship. They would get together, they would talk, they would challenge each other. Uh, Tolkien often said that the reason he wrote so hard was to keep up with Lewis. <laughs> he was always so mad because Lewis could turn out seven books to his one. Of course, The Lord of the Rings is pretty good. <laughs> so, so the other guy, Charles, died. And Lewis said, I, I, he said, I had this, this thought. Well, now I have Tolkien all to myself. It'll be just him and me. He said, but it wasn't what he thought. There was something about the three that brought out something in Tolkien that he himself could not bring out in him. Have you ever noticed that? I, I, I adore taking drives with my wife, and, and we can have, we're so comfortable with each other, we can have long periods of silence, or we can listen to some, a book on tape, or we can listen to music or something. And I, I do delight in her, but to put two more people in the car, and suddenly everything changes. The conversation changes, the, you know, and depending on who those two people are, suddenly another whole aspect of me comes out, another aspect of them comes out. There's something about when you're corporately, spiritually together that the best of you is revealed. That's why Jesus says, don't isolate. Even when you're hurting, don't run away. Run too. Because the best you is found with the best of us. Then Jesus says, in the community, in a true Spiritual community, you're treated equally with both truth and love. In chapter 7, it's, it's interesting because he starts chapter 7 saying, Judge not, lest you be judged. But then at the end he says, Don't give to the dogs what is holy, and don't give to the pigs your pearls. Interesting. So don't judge, but he calls some things pigs and pearls. Uh, you, you understand what I'm saying. All right? Just keep that thought. We'll come back to it. It's important that you catch that. All right, so what he's talking about here, particularly when he's talking about the pigs and the pearls and the dogs and what is holy, is there are people, basically we divide up into two groups of people. If I, if I were to do a survey, we would find maybe evenly divided, maybe one group or another group, but everybody's wired in a certain way. A certain way. So some of us are wired that we are never going to confront anybody, we're never going to challenge anybody, and to us... To have a conflict or confrontation with someone would be unloving. And then there's the others of us, we are a conflict waiting to happen. So we present the truth. We are not really concerned whether it's loving or not. We just want you to understand clearly what we're saying. Get it off our chest and make sure you know it. And for some reason, those two groups of people tend to marry each other. So you have one who's diplomatic, tactful. You have one who's straightforward, honest, gets it off their chest. 
And the two of them think that the other one is nuts. So, I am definitely of the truth, get it off your chest kind of version. My wife is tactful, diplomatic. But when we first got married, I just thought she was a liar. Because I was like, what are you saying? Why don't you just tell me? Why, why do you tell me days later what I should have known two days ago? You know, that kind of, that kind of, her favorite one used to be this. You go, do you want to clean the garage? Or do you want to mow the grass? And I would say, I want to do neither. I had no idea it was not a suggestion. I mean, you begin, the, what, what Jesus is talking about is that our natural tendencies actually keep us from community. Because if you're a total, I won't have any confrontation, no conflict, nobody ever knows you. But if you're a truth in your face without any love, and you, you're saying it without grace, then what you're saying is not really true. So all you're doing is for yourself. Anytime anybody says, I just have to get this off of my chest, just hit them in the face and run. Because it's not about you. It's all about them. And they haven't realized, see, they haven't gotten to where they're disillusioned with their own baloney. I I thought of the other one, but uh, it is Sunday morning. So here's what Dallas Willard says. Dallas Willard has a whole book on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Jesus' use of pigs and dogs, what he means by this is they are animals who are not able to digest what you're giving them. So in a sense, what he's saying is the pig and the dog are hungry. They want food, but you're giving them pearls. Pearls are not digestible. But you are digestible, so they'll turn on you and eat you for their food. That's what he's explaining. In other words, in other words he's saying that there, there has to be a wisdom. Is this a time to be diplomatic? Or is this time to be truthful? And really what Jesus is teaching is no matter what, what your bent is or your predisposition is, if you're not speaking the truth in love, you're not speaking truth or love. And if you don't love the person you're speaking truth to, then you're not speaking truth. This is what Jesus is teaching. And this is why so many of us have so few deep relationships. Very little intimacy. Because we neither speak the truth nor do we love. Are you tracking with me on this? Willard also says, it's important that you come to the place where you realize you only know your own story. I... I, And I know sometimes people often will say something like, I understand exactly what you're feeling. You're like, no, you don't. You only know your own story. It's difficult for people to listen. Watchman Nee is one, for me, he's one of the great writers of the Christian faith. Uh, He wrote this whole book on how to be a servant of God. And the first chapter is on listening. And he says, you have to hear what people are saying. You have to hear what they're not saying. And you need to hear what the Spirit's saying. We could have real community if we could do those three things. 
Well, Tim Keller, he asked this question. He says, well, how do you know if you're balanced or unbalanced? And he goes, just assume you're unbalanced. <laughs> I think that's, a, I, you know, if, if you've come to the place where you've come to Jesus through the gospel, then you absolutely know that you are so sinful that he had to die for you. That's your humility piece. But you also have status because you are so loved that he chose to die for you. So it's not bone-crushing humility. It's actually humility that allows you to be lifted up to a status which you would never achieve on your own. So then, if you begin to realize, you know what, the way I am, and (laughs) this is so fascinating how many dysfunctional families go, well, that's just the way we are. And you're like, please, stop being that way. (laughs) What's normal for you is not normal. But yet, that's that's the delusion. That's the disillusion they have not come to yet to realize this doesn't work. And Jesus is saying, here's what will work, is to begin to accept and understand. I tend towards one side. I I have learned better to speak the other language, but it's not my native tongue. And I'm learning to speak direct, indirect, because I know how to speak direct. Well... Last thing on this community is you've got to understand Jesus' use of the word to judge. And the way that he uses the word is very specific. It is the word condemn, to condemn. It is, it's not the idea of assessment or evaluation because otherwise he couldn't call something pigs or dogs or pearls. So it is not the loss of reason. It is not the loss of discernment. It is rather... The realization that every single one of us, by nature, are objects of condemnation. When you recognize that and you realize that you've come into right relationship with God through Christ, then Romans 8.1 becomes a key verse. Therefore, if any man, any woman is in Christ, he or she is a... You know, There is therefore now no condemnation. Sorry for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then you step over to to Corinthians and Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things, the condemnation has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you see this radical transformation in terms of your heart, your status, in terms of your relationship with each other. And once you realize that Jesus took the condemnation for you, how can you look at other people? And not be transformed by that. When you recognize and realize what a sinner you were. And, and, and while you were yet a sinner, Christ condemned, commended his love towards you. When you recognize that, how can you not look at other people and go, you're my brother. You're my sister. I think, though, if I can sum this up a little bit at the end. You don't have a choice who your brothers and sisters are. But you do have a choice as to whether you will make them your friends. See, you know, you're stuck with each other. We're stuck with each other. But we can make a choice and say, I will be a friend who sticks closer to you than a brother. I will be a friend who lays down my life for you because what greater love has any man than this that you should lay down your life for your friends. And you begin to realize, wow, this is, this is worthy of my life. When I was, when I was about 21 or 22, 
um, I started going up to see Lisa. I guess I was 21. Started going up to see Lisa. I'd fallen madly in love with her. She was 10 hours away. It was a 10-hour drive from Jackson, Mississippi to Bowling Green, Kentucky. Every other weekend, I made the drive. They thought I was a member of her church because I was there so often. But there was this, it was this unique church. It was originally founded by slaves and then had, uh, had been an African-American Presbyterian church since the 1800s. Sometime in the 1970s or so, it had gotten down to eight members, sweet, wonderful, faithful people. They invited one of the, one of the most famous New Testament scholars who was teaching at the university there. They invited him to come be their pastor. And so here you had this predominantly African-American church with African-American tradition, and you had this highbrow scholar of the New Testament and stuff, and all of a sudden, the place got flooded with students and professors and all cultures and all backgrounds, and Lisa and I got to be a part of that. There were musicians like Michael Card there. There were there was all kinds of stuff that God was creating in that environment. And when I was 21 years old, I said, that's the church. That's the church. And it, it was the dream. But see, when I read this, when I see this scripture and I say, this is what we're about. Building spiritual community where there's access to prayer, access to each other's lives, access to all of the goodness and blessings of God. I'm asking you today two things. One, there's a whole lot of personal stuff that I've gone over. Would you, would you deal with God? There's a lot of personal stuff about the way we relate to each other. Will you deal with God? But I'm going to ask you this. Can we build such a community? Like, can we make this? This is, this is our intense goal, that we be such a community that we reflect what Jesus is asking us to be here, that we really are, that we, that we realize it's necessary we're together. That when we're together, there's an intensity of growth that's taking place. When we're together, there's truth and love being exercised always together. That we would be such a people that people could see in us a little bit of heaven right here on earth. Would you commit to that with me? I mean, maybe you're even visiting today. I'll just infect you to take it wherever you're going. Because I don't see any other reason to be the church. We're not a fraternity. We're not a social organization. We're the body of Christ. We're the temple of God. We're not, just, we're not just natural, we're supernatural. And he's calling us to be a people who reflect what is true of heaven right here on earth. Would you stand with me? Does this make sense to do this? Would you make in your own heart, is there, can I rev up your motor a little bit and say, Lord, I want to see it fully realized in Rockland County or wherever you're from, but to say there's got to be more. See, I think Jesus is, is, is putting out a goal there that none of us have ever completely seen. But I remember when I first tasted it, I said, Lord, I want more. I want more. Lord, would you, whatever's going on in the hearts of the people, would you stir up a fire? Would you stir up a flame? You're the God, you're the one who uh, a bruised reed you will not break and a little fire you won't put out. So would you fan this into a flame in our lives? That our families, our, our church, 
that we who have become brothers and sisters would also become friends. Deep, intimate friends, spiritual friends, that we would climb on your back and soar together. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you share that love around, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for being here.